All right, everyone's giving the giving the room a bit of time to fill up. How do I sound now? Have I still got the echoes? I can still hear it. How's this then? Ah, much better.
Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Batcave. Uh, this week, we've got Collector, uh, the uh, tokenizing real-world like cards on the blockchain. And we've got Austin of Blazing Cards, uh, the Yu-Gi-Oh! champion. How are you all doing today? Good. Thanks for having us. Excited to be here. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, yeah, we can hear you fine. <laughs> Sorry, I, this is my first time using Twitter Space, so I didn't see the the sound move <laughs> lagging a little bit. I was warned oh, though, that I... this wasn't a great experience by by Thomas. So, <laughs> well, the I think it's a really cool like place for everybody to it. You know, it, I think it intersects with Twitter very well. But I think definitely the uh, the user experience um, has a lot to learn and. Uh, you know, I, I, lo I love, uh, you know, Brave has a great video chat functionality. So, you know, I, I don't know what your plans are there, Brave, but uh, we'd be cool to do some things on there, too. Well, uh, we could switch it. The, the joy of a Twitter space versus Brave Talk is that on a Twitter space, it's more like a, a pub, public place. So people can walk in and out, you know. But uh, like with a, on Brave, you've got to have people show up. Yeah, that I guess that's true. I mean, I you know, people will go in and see that there's something happening, and if it's something that piques their interest, they can jump in. So, yeah, to totally. I, I yeah, I, I think it's good for that. It, it it isn't a Twitter space if something doesn't go wrong and we don't get a chance to plug how good Brave Talk is, though. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so for anyone who's new, uh, just in case we've got any new people here, uh, Brave is a privacy-focused browser that blocks all the creepy adverts and third-party trackers, you know, saves your data, saves your time. It's a wonderful experience. And if you want, you can opt in to have Brave adverts and get rewarded in the basic attention token. But yeah, that, that's us. So uh, how, how's it going uh, on the collector side? It's, uh, it's going really well. A lot's happened since we've uh, last spoken. So, you know, I think the major things is that we've, uh, we've, we've launched our platform publicly. So now anybody can go in and, and deposit their cards into a number of different vaults that we have. And these are third-party custodied vaults. And once the cards are there, they can come back to our platform. And, uh, and mint NFTs that represent the ownership interest for those real-world assets. So that's live. And, uh, you know, kind of hot off the press is that we've launched our, our uh, marketplace. So now not only can you, you know, tokenize your assets, you can now trade them on, uh, on the blockchain on our platform as well as any other composable platform on the Solana network. Yeah, amazing. I actually had a go. I was in the, I was having a go at minting earlier. I said I need to get some USDC on the on Solana. <laughs> well, yeah, you don't you don't have to uh, in order to mint cards. You don't need any uh, USDC. You just have to send the cards in, and and you know because we're small and we're growing and we're trying to get people excited. I mean, you know, just come to our chat and say, hey, you know, I, I I'm trying to transfer cards. Or I'm trying to do something. I'm not a typical Solana user. Can you can you throw me some Solana to pay for gas? And we'd be happy to do that and help you uh, to walk through the onboarding experience. So, um, you know, 
we're, we, we have big visions for this and, uh, you, you know, we, we appreciate the opportunity to chat with your community and, and, and hopefully get, uh, get some people trading cards. Let's take it back. Let's take it back a step. I haven't quite got the smoothness that Jenny has on this. So let's get everyone's introductions. <laughs> no, of course. Um, so I'm, I'm Twam Holmberg. I'm the uh, CEO and co-founder of Collector. Um, my background, I, you know, I've been an entrepreneur for the last 25 years, but before that I was actually a semi-professional Magic the Gathering player, you know, uh, slinging cards on the streets of uh, New York City. You know, I, I, I certainly, you know, <laughs> people probably threw their bologna sandwiches at me at lunchtime for playing so much, but, you know, I had a great time doing it. I went to uh, college, started my first company in college, and then, you know, I'm not going to bore you with all my, you know, experience there, but I, I've been in biotech for a while. I've raised a little over $100 million starting biotech companies. And, uh, you know, with COVID, I have a couple small kids with a massive Magic the Gathering collection. You know, I, I, you only live once, and I wanted to do something that was uh, not only something that I can work. I, I could work forever on this, and I still love every day that I'm doing it. Um, but it also connects with my passion, connects with my hobbies, you know, gives me a, a more positive outlook on uh on humanity. And I think it's, you know, what we're doing is actually really important because, you know, there, there's about, you know, depending on who you ask, and it, it's really hard to find a great number, but, you know, let's say there's between three and four trillion dollars worth of physical collectibles out there. And that includes cards, comics, coins, and stamps. Um, it also includes paper money and includes collectible wine, cars. And the big one, of course, is artwork. And, you know, when, when we started hearing about NFTs in like 2016, 2017, you know, people were already using this as a use case for permissionless transfer of real world assets. You know, some people were talking about real estate, some people were talking about fine art, but it really took a number of years for the underlying blockchain technology to, to build out the things that we need from kind of robust NFT minting, smart contracts to the NFT marketplaces to the fiat on ramps. There was just so much that had to be built. And I think basically in 2021, um, you know, there was enough battle tested technology out there uh, for me to have the confidence to give this platform a go. So I, I, I've, I've kind of left my biotech wings behind and I've been working on this project full time for about a, a year and a half. So that's, uh, that's kind of my, my brief intro and, uh, Austin, go, go ahead. Hey guys. Yeah. So I'm actually, um, new to the, to the collector team, but, uh, really excited to be a part of the project. I think it's, um, you know, really cool to finally see the trading card game space kind of converge with, with future technology and, and get into the web three space. Um, my background is, I was a Yu-Gi-Oh! national champion when, when I was 11. So similar to Tuomas there, started actually playing these card games. Um, you know, really enjoyed my time playing. Used to travel the country till I was about 15 years old playing this game. Um, and then I actually ended up turning it into uh, an international business where, you know, I would go to these events, buy all these physical trading cards, and then um, ship them all over the world and, um Mainly a lot to Japan, actually, where their um, their prices on cards were much higher over there than they were here. So it's kind of nice just to find that price differentiation there and um, take advantage of that. So after that, when I was 19, I kind of left the trading card space, 
got into acting, did a couple um, movies and TV shows. And then when I was about 25, I, I got pulled back into the trading card space. It's just kind of a lifelong passion that, that you know, kind of sits, sits there in the back of your mind when you walk away. So got back into it, opened up a trading card shop in Hollywood. Um, we ended up selling about 14 million Pokemon cards uh, in 2021. So we grew to be, you know, one of the largest um, Pokemon stores. And yeah, now, now excited to be getting into uh, this Web3 space and, and bringing the technology to the space. And I think it's definitely, um, you know, a, a big growing space, especially right now um, after COVID where, you know, we saw all these influencers like Gary Vee and, and Logan Paul bring attention to the trading card space. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, the sky's the limit right now. Amazing. Yeah, I, I used to play uh, the trading card games. I used to play Magic when I was growing up, and uh, the Pokemon was my, my, the big one I played, really. <laughs> but the, the, then I got into there was the, an Age of Empires one, which was absolutely terrible, and uh, <laughs> I got a bit bad there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'll say, you know, I actually hadn't heard of, of Brave until uh, Thomas asked me to do this. Um, Twitter space with you guys and then I started talking to some of my web3 friends and they're like oh yeah it's the only platform that I you know use right now for as a search engine um, and it's cool it sounds like you guys are you know helping users kind of take back their data and um, yeah I, I just think there's a that it's a really cool project that you guys have going on as well well, thank you for thank you for saying that. Well, I'll get our side introduced, even if I'm sure everyone knows who we are by now. I'm Batten. I'm a head of the Bat Ambassador program, and I make memes. And I love Brave. And we've got. Uh, do you want to start, Jenny? Yeah, sure. I'll go ahead. Hi, everybody. My name is Jenny. I am director of community and partnerships at Bat and Brave. And I'm really jazzed for part two of our discussion with Collector today. If you can't already tell, Tuam and the gang are really great folks. And we're ecstatic to hear about what they've been up to since the Collector platform launched. Because I think last time you guys were here, it was pre-launch. So welcome back. And hi, Austin. It's great to meet you. Um, really excited to learn more about you and, um, and about Yu-Gi-Oh! since I know nothing about it. Um, and also, for anybody who missed the part one of our uh, conversation with Collector, we are going to pin a link to the recording to the spaces momentarily. So look out for that. You can check it out afterwards. Um, but for now, I'll kick it over to Guillermo for an intro. Thanks, everyone. Hello, everyone. Nice to see you again, Tuam. Uh, my name is Guillermo Fantage, and I am an artist. I specialize in illustration and design for Brave Attention, Brave and Basic Attention Token communities. By creating visual simulating pieces, support engagement communities such as today's POAP, which you can claim by messaging group, which I think is only appearing today. Back to you, Edern. Hey, yeah. Yeah, so back back to what we were talking about before. Um, yeah, it wasn't the I was trying to wasn't trying to mint an NFT. I got the terminology wrong. I was trying to buy one. So I saw, I saw there was a Hulk Hogan card on there, and I thought I fancied picking it up. Oh man, yeah. I mean, we we see one of the one of the interesting things is that even even though we have such great technology, um, you know, people are still kind of, you know, for better or for worse, set in their ways, right? So we we have a bunch of very valuable cards. Like I have a a, a beta 
um, mock sapphire that's in really nice condition listed on the platform for $13,000. But for example, you know, somebody coming in off the street saying, all right, am I, am I going to go to this, uh, you know, DGen marketplace and buy this $13,000 magic card? I mean, you know, I'm sure there's some people out there that would, but, you know, I, I'm pretty sure most people would say, oh my goodness, you know, that's, that's a pretty big risk. That's a pretty big ask. And so, you know, we went out and, and just kind of scoured the webs for, for some, uh, you know, fun, easy, cheap cards that, that people could go in and say, all right, I, I don't mind buying a Hulk Hogan card for like six bucks just to, just to see how the platform goes. And, uh, you know, may, maybe you could even go and burn the card and, and ship it to yourself wherever you are in the world just to just to kind of get the full experience. But, um, you know, what, one thing before I get too far and, and before, you know, all the all the people listening, uh, you know, find other things. I, I do want to say that we are going to do a giveaway while we're here on the Twitter space. And, you know, what we're going to do is we're, we're going to do a trivia giveaway. And, and the, the place where we're going to post the trivia question is in our discord so if you want to find our discord you know just just hop on over to discord.gg slash collector and go jump in there and uh you know maybe you know 10 15 minutes before the end of this call we have a, a couple trivia questions that we're going to drop in the discord and then for those of you listeners who are picking up uh, this uh, this this uh, space at a different time. You know, obviously, you're not going to make the real life giveaway, but we have a giveaway for you too. So, you know, we'll we'll have an announcement in our Discord channel. Uh, you know, just interact with our announcement, and we'll we'll basically pull a pull a a name out of a hat and award you. You know, it's not anything too crazy. Uh, you know, we have a couple uh, really cool Pokemon cards that we're going to give away, and then uh, you know, you you hit it right on the head, Batter, and we're going to give away a. Uh, uh, a fun wrestling card. So I'll, I'll leave it at that for now. Okay, well, go, go ahead, Guillaume. All right, I'll just jump on in. Uh, Here's a question that I like to ask um, when we, whenever we have projects. I'll, and also for, for people that are just joining in or that missed our first spaces, can you explain to me what Collector is as if I was explaining it to my parents who don't understand nothing about NFTs and why, uh, you know, collectible is great. Collector, sorry, collector is great. For sure. Um, so I, I would say, you know, people have been collecting things since before writing, right? You know, people have been, you know, you hear all these stories growing up about seashells and pearls and trading spice and all that kind of stuff. And, and people, you know, it's part of our, our, our genes, our DNA to collect. And a lot of the things that have come about in modern society, including our financial systems, including kind of, you know, land ownership, including all of these things came about because people have an innate kind of drive to collect. And over time, that's kind of, you know, a lot of these pieces that were, you know, in collecting, you know, kind of got pulled out and went into finance, went into real estate, went into some other things. But, you know, we still collect artwork, we still collect cards and coins, comic stamps, and, you know, now we're collecting NFTs. And, and you know, it's really a part of our um, ability to show ourselves culturally, right? So I could surround myself with a bunch of, uh, you know, uh, pro football player cards. And, you know, if I have my video stream on and I'm, I'm just surrounded by football stuff... You know, maybe somebody on the other side says, wow, he's really passionate about football. And, and same thing with uh, kind of the NFTs you choose to represent yourself with in your PFP and so on. Um, 
and and so the thing that's happened in the last you know 30 years is that ebay has made some incredible changes to the way collectibles are traded in the late 90s you know ebay kind of pulled out all of these intermediaries and intermediaries meaning you know traders it means kind of stores and that kind of stuff and i and they did a huge service because ebay you know one dropped the cost to trade things um, and I'm not saying that stores don't deserve to get, you know, 20, 25%, you know, margin on what they're selling. You know, they're providing a physical footprint, they're p- providing liquidity, they're providing a place to ch- trade. So that's cool. But for, for in the digital era, eBay came and said, okay, we're going to drop the fees to like 12 or 13%. Um, and we're going to provide global discovery, meaning that somebody anywhere in the world can find somebody else and, and do a trade. And for the most part, it works pretty well. Um, and and so that revolutionized collecting and and you know with the advent of web3 with the advent of all of this kind of on-chain ability to transfer value uh i think there's going to be a new revolution in how people trade collectibles and 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 meaning that um you know you have a centralized entity like ebay that controls massive market dominance you know, it's really, uh, you know, it, it's become an extractive business model for the people that are part of that ecosystem. And so you have person A trading with person B, you know, they meet up over eBay's platform. They, you know, eBay facilitates the financial side of it, um, but it's basically a credit card and eBay kind of sits back and doesn't really do much about it. You know, I don't see, you know, massive communities of eBay followers running around saying, oh, this is this is a great experience. You know, I love I love all the service. I love all the community. I love all the ecosystem that eBay brings to my trading hobby. And I'm, I'm super happy paying 13 percent transaction fees. You know, the answer you get is is quite the opposite. It's like, well, yeah, we do it because that's what's there. You know, they have discovery. They have market dominance. If you want to sell an asset, you could sell it on eBay. Um, and you know, that's not necessarily a long-term stable place to be. And so what we want to do is we want to take these tools that, uh, you know, Brave and, and Magic Eden and OpenSea and, and Vitalik and all these tools that have been developed in the blockchain and basically allow collectors to take the power back, right? If, if person A is trading with person B, you know, why, why, why are they paying 13%? And, um, you know why? Why? Why not pay two percent? Why not pay one percent? Why not be able to just transfer things for free? Why? Why? So there's a lot of whys, and and the answer is, uh, let's use Web three technology. Let's put the power back in the hands of the traders. Let's let people build their own ecosystems and communities. All these things that social media has taught us is possible to do, and let's create an environment and, and see what happens. And and um, you know, so I think that's the reason why. We are building it, and the the the, re, the question of why? Well, why do you have to do crypto? Why does it have to be Web three? And and the reason is that in order for people to truly own their community, in order for people to truly truly be able to trade trade in a permissionless way, you know, the the Web three infrastructure provides just that. So you know, as, as an example to that question, I typically say, you know, we have a English language marketplace, right? And we allow people to trade using U.S. dollars. But, you know, maybe maybe there's people out there that don't speak English. Maybe there's a huge Japanese community of Pokemon trader, uh, traders. And, I'm, you know, we know there is. Maybe somebody in that community wants to build their own marketplace to trade Pokemon cards in the Japanese language with their own branding. Right. So what they can do is they could just piggyback 
on all of the, the primitives that we've developed, meaning the physical to digital bridge, all the payment rails, the marketplace, and they can create kind of their own customized user experience. And we'd be willing to share revenues with that type of person, right? And and so in this way, you know, we, we have some ideas on how to build the infrastructure. We don't have all the ideas in the world and we want the community to realize the potential of building on top of our platform and to standardize how these physical assets are represented on the uh, the blockchain. So um, I, I, I tend to be long-winded, but I'll, I'll, I'll let it run back to you, Guillaume, Guillaume to see if uh, I answered your question. If not, I'm, I'm happy to elucidate further. You sure did, Tom. I see there's a lot of intention in Web3 communities and Web3 projects to incentivize back the creators and, you know, just not create something and create communities, but actually incentivize the creators and give creators that power back. And I think it's wonderful what you did um, and what you're doing in, in Collector. We talked about this in Lisbon and in our private spaces. What I'm more curious now is to, to hear uh, from our 2006 champion, uh, what he feels about these projects coming uh, into, into the card spaces and does he feel that those can be considered threats or rather something that they can build on? Yeah, I mean, I think that the technology definitely has a, a strong use case in in the space. And, <clears throat> you know, it's it's great that it's finally being developed. And like Tuam said, it's nice to have it be community forward because all these big sites like TCG Player and, and eBay that are these leading marketplaces, they're very predatorial and they do overcharge these fees and they are very disconnected from, from their communities. And, um, you know, they're just all profit driven and they're not taking into account you know what the community thinks and, and how they feel and um you know even even trying to make it a, a better experience at the time so it's it's very cool what collectors doing and, and having a, a trusted middleman where these high value assets are, are going into these vaults ahead of time and um you know actually being authenticated there and knowing that you know you're gonna have a smooth and trusted transaction and that you even have a place to just keep those assets secure if you don't want to burn the NFT and just purchase the NFT and, and hold it in the vault as, as an asset um, where, you know, you know, it can be safe. And these collectible assets are probably going to be going up in value over time. I mean, you know, we've seen them go up in time. And there's even, I think, um, you know, there's like a trading card S&P where they track the, the stock market versus these uh, the top I think 500 uh, collectible cards and and they have outpaced the the stock market by by far um, so you know it's nice to have a secure place where you can keep those assets and also maintain proof of ownership through having that that NFT in your digital wallet so yeah I mean I think it's a very exciting um, project and I, and I think web3 will play a huge part in in the collector world. Thank you very much. That was a great answer. Uh, Baron or Jenny, if you have any question regarding still this theme, go on. Otherwise, I have some Yu-Gi-Oh questions. I'm just going to quickly, quickly say something. Uh, it is actually a really smooth process to buy the cards. I, uh, I, I had some Sol in my Brave wallet. I swapped it for some USDC and yeah, I just got a Hulk Hogan card. 
<laughs> nice, nice. I, I, I did want to add, um, you know, one, one thing and, you know, I, anecdotes, you know, could speak volumes about the, the value. So I, I, I was chatting with a, with a high end Pokemon trader and he had a card worth about a hundred thousand dollars, right? He didn't want to list it on eBay for sale because he's going to wind up paying around $10,000 in transaction fees. Um, so he went and listed the card on Instagram. And, you know, lo and behold, he had somebody in Singapore. And this gentleman who owned the card is in is in Texas. And a gentleman in Singapore came and um, basically said, okay, yeah, I'd like to buy that card for that price. And so what happened next was three weeks worth of work, right? So the guy in Texas found an attorney in Singapore that would be willing to write a purchase agreement for the card and then also to create an escrow function uh, you know, to hold the, uh, the uh, basically $100,000 worth of currency. And then, you know, so that took a few thousand dollars to create and negotiate the escrow agreement. And then he had to figure out a way to ship the card to Singapore. And obviously, you know, shipping internationally $100,000 card. FedEx only covers $25,000 worth of insurance when you ship internationally. So, you know, how do you, how do you go through that process? So he, he had a custom courier. Um, and that, that was a couple thousand dollars to even just ship the card. And then finally, you know, the payment went through a kind of a PayPal uh, type mechanism and international PayPal payments, you know, you, you PayPal won't let you send a gift of $100,000 to a friend, right? They're going to say, well, this is obviously a transaction. And so international PayPal transactions cost four and a half percent. So even though he did not use eBay, just to safely trade that asset to somebody internationally, um, you know, still wound up costing around, you know, eight to 10% of the value of the card. And we're talking about a hundred thousand dollar card, right? So, you know, in, in contrast, the way that it would have worked for us is that card could have been put in a vault and it's free to vault a card. So the, that hundred thousand dollar card could have been put in our vault. And then he could have sold the card over the blockchain. The person in Singapore could have just used whatever fiat on-ramp that they're most comfortable with and used USDC to buy that asset. And then that person in Singapore could have, you know, either left the card in the vault until they visited the States on vacation, or they could have still paid that same shipping and handling. But in this case, you know, the shipping and handling is covered by, uh, you know, a world-class vaulting facility who has a whole team dedicated to shipping and doing logistics and insurance. And it would have been cheaper to actually ship the card from the vault to the gentleman in Singapore, right? So that's, you know, one use case where using our platform would have, you know, save, save, save time, money, and, and effort in doing this. I mean, having to find an attorney in Singapore to draft a, a contract to buy this thing, that's, you know, that's, that's just makes me go a little nuts. Um, and the other, you know, really cool use case, and, and this has come up recently when some of our friends in Europe have tried to buy cards, you know, so the biggest market for collectible cards is in the United States and the biggest marketplace is in eBay. Is, and, and a lot of people in the States, when they list a card on eBay for sale, there's actually a button. Believe it or not, there's a button that says, I do not want to sell this internationally just because of the risk of fraud, because of the time, because of customs. You know, a lot of people just don't want to deal with it. So buying a card in, from the U.S. and Europe, you know, you're already limited, right? You, you don't even see the full inventory of what's available. Um, and then let's say you do buy a card. You know, then you have to pay for international shipping. 
And then there's a value-added tax, right? So you're paying basically a 20% VAT on top of the price of the card that you pay. So you buy a $1,000 card, you're probably going to pay around 75 to 100 to ship it, and you're paying another $200 in value-added tax to import it into Europe. In contrast, if you were to set your address in eBay to the collector vault, you could choose one of our vaults and say, well, hey, that's my shipping address. Now you will be able to bid on the full uh, portfolio of assets that are on eBay, and you will be able to ship it to the vault for a much lower price. You know, whenever I buy a card on eBay, I tend to, you know, get it shipped for like five or 10 bucks instead of like 75 international. And then finally, you don't have to pay tax because you're never bringing it into Europe, right? So you're not paying that 20% value added tax. So just by using our platform to buy cards on eBay, if you're international, you're already saving, you know, 20, 25%, depending on the value of the asset. And so, you know, there, I could just go on and on and on about how this technology can help reduce the friction in the ecosystem and save money for people. It, the import fees are an absolute devil. I can't, I can't stand them. Like, whenever you try and bring something to the country, like, boom, going to rob you a bit more. <laughs> yeah, and even just to go off, um, you know, that anecdote, I know people who <clears throat> will hop on a plane, you know, domestically for a, a $20,000 deal and, um, you know, because they don't trust shipping it through uh, USPS because there have been a lot of horror stories. And so, you know, they'll take two days out of their life, hop on a plane and go meet up in person. And, um, you know, I think Collector also kind of solves that by just being that trusted middleman. Yeah, it's a it's a trusted middleman that only charges you two percent. I mean, there there are middle there are middlemen out there, middle women too, but they you know the fees tend to be like you know five, ten, twenty percent. I mean, there's a there's a lot of concierge services. There's a check out my cards. You know, the fees for these places are 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 fifteen to twenty percent. And so yeah, I mean, jumping on a plane and picking up the card is cheap, and and that's that's the state of things right now. Um, but anyway, I, I did want to just, uh, you know, I wanted to just drop kind of the first trivia question of people. If, would, would that be okay, Batterin? Would, would, would that be go, cool? Go, go, go for it, mate. All right. So, um, and you, I, I'm going to drop, I'm going to say it on the, on, the, on, the, on the space first, and then I'll drop the question in the channel. Um, it, it's, it's a question about a wrestling card. And the question is... What was the name of the wrestler who played the character of the Ultimate Warrior before James Brian Helwig took over the role in 1987? Do, do we have any uh, Jeopardy music? <laughs> All right, no, I'm going to post. I need to figure out how to do this better because that's an incredibly hard question. And and the prize for this card is not worth the time to figure it out. So I apologize for that. The, the next card will be a little bit more valuable, but I just wanted to kind of get people started. <laughs> hey, Tuam, can you maybe repeat the question a second time, um, just for anyone who didn't quite catch it the first time? Absolutely. I've also posted it in, my, in our Discord, um, in the general chat. So uh, what was the name of the wrestler who played the character 
of the Ultimate Warrior before James Brian Helwig took over the role in 1987. And I, you know, I'll just I'll just keep talking while people noodle on that one. Um, and uh, and I'll 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 just uh, you know here here's the card. I'll just drop it here in our Discord as well. Here's the card that you could potentially win. I just dropped that link. Um, no, no, no one could talk right now because otherwise you'd hear the sounds of their keyboard looking for their brave stuff. <laughs> uh, but but in the in the meantime, you know, it, it'd be great. I could just give you an update on some of our traction because I, I know a big part of this is, uh, you know, building up trust and building up, um, uh, you know, trying to build up our community and, and get some traction. So, you know, with the help of Austin, um, we've also brought on a head of business development. His name's Joe Munns. It's currently uh, three in the morning for him in Hong Kong, so I, I apologize for that. But he might be on a different one uh, in the future. Um, we, we're onboarding cards, and we're looking for people that have deep collections. Oh, we just got a winner, Belladone! Congratulations. The answer to that question is the Dingo Warrior. So before the Dingo, so so uh, before the Ultimate Warrior, there was a character named the Dingo Warrior, and then. Uh, I, th I think when uh, James Brian Helwig took over that character, quote unquote, uh, they renamed it to the Ultimate Warrior. So great, great job, Belladon, and uh, or Belladon, Belladonna. Um, you know, we'll, I'll DM you after our, our thing to to get you the card. Um, I, I guess where I was going is uh, we are going to be onboarding about two to three hundred thousand dollars worth of Yu-Gi-Oh cards here in the next few weeks. And in addition, and, and these are cards that are going to be listed on our platform. You'll be able to make bids on them. You know, these are these are cards owned by real people. So, you know, it's up to them if they want to sell them or not. But uh, I'm sure, you know, they are in a transactional mode at some points. I mean, you have to be. And so there's going to be a massive Yu-Gi-Oh! collection. And that could, this could actually be one of the largest Yu-Gi-Oh! collections on a single marketplace of high-quality assets out there in the world and certainly on the blockchain. Um, the other great piece of news is that uh, we are in the final stages of finalizing a deal with one of the top Magic the Gathering whales in the world, and I'm hoping to be able to announce some good news about that, but the idea is that maybe in mid-April, we will have half a million to a million dollars worth of Magic the Gathering cards, really, really rare stuff um, that's going to be on our marketplace, and again, you know, we're, we're trying to get these large collections, get these, you know, fantastic assets to put on the platform so that people can really enjoy the culture around these hobbies and, uh, and, and be able to build their collections. Um, oh, there you go, Belladonna. Thank you for posting that. The, 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 um, the other thing that, you know, I, I do want to remark on a little bit is that, you know, with FTX and all that kind of stuff that happened, I mean, you know, that, that shook, you know, crypto, ecosystems and communities to its core a lot of people lost their jobs a lot of companies lost their their platforms and um you know one thing that we need to do is is figure out a way to diversify the risk of of things that are on the blockchain right so you know let, let, i i see so many posts about people that they said well i used to have a half a million dollar portfolio of nfts and now that portfolio is worth twenty thousand dollars and a big part of that drop is because the value of Solana has dropped, you know, 75, 85% uh, in the past six months. And, and so, you know, I, I think 
when you think about what the value of blockchain technology is, it's being able to solve real world problems, being able to penetrate some of the friction that exists in everyday lives. And the more that you can solve real world friction, the more that you could use blockchain for utility, the more stable the cryptocurrencies will be, the more stable these platforms will be, and the more assets are going to come onto the blockchain. And this is when, you know, this this is kind of like the, the zero day. When, when this starts happening in a big way, um, this is when the value of the crypto assets are going to skyrocket because finally they will be recognized for providing utility rather than for providing something cool where a bunch of geeks, you know, put hats on and go to conferences and wear big, big heavy jackets, right? Um, you know, no, no offense to any of you. I do the same thing. So it's, uh, you know, I, I, I'm looking forward to the next bull run. I think it's going to be uh, catalyzed by real world utility. I'm 100% with you on that. People always say like, oh, blockchain's a scam or whatever, but there is actual value to be had in like re reducing friction and cutting out middlemen to an extent. It's just, yeah, there is a lot of use that actually happen. You know, it isn't all just number go up because because number go up. Yeah, I mean, we, we need to transform to a, a place of, of, you know, here here's how much value we saved for the community. We need to transform to that from, oh, I just got a 50,000 Twitter followers and my, my coin is pumping, right? I mean, that's fun, right? But that's not that's not the true value of what, what blockchain can do. I thought of a question while you were um, speaking, Tom. How do you manage or uh, ensure the value uh, or that the value of the collectibles on your platform remains stable? That's a that's a great question, Jenny. And I, and I think the, the first part of that is that the, the assets that are on our platform have all been graded by well-respected third parties. So the cards on our platform have been graded by PSA, BGS, uh, CGC, CSG, SG, you know, they're all these three-letter acronyms like the FBI, whatever, but you know, they, these, these companies have been grading cards for 30 or 40 years, some of them. And so people trust them in the industry. There's $20, $30 billion worth of trades every year in real-world marketplaces trading these graded collectible cards. Um, so that's the first step. The second step is by using you know, trusted third-party vaults. So these are vaults that, you know, in the case of PWCC, they've been around since the late 90s. And they have over a billion dollars worth of card assets. They are literally the Fort Knox of storing collectible cards. Uh, so when a card goes into their uh, shipping and logistics department, you know, people that are there have been looking at cards for, for decades, right? And they, they could see if a card has been tampered with. They, so they authenticate the card and they, they provide some level of insurance, you know, in addition to the grading company that this card is real. So that's the, that's the first part of it. The second part of it is that you know, these, these cards, they all have established, you know, deep markets in the real world. So some Pokemon cards, for example, you might have dozens of trades per day on eBay that over time establish the price of some of these things. And yeah, there's some rare cards that don't trade very often, but, you know, there's so many people out there. There's a hundred million people trading these cards that the market is established and it's fairly deep on, in, a, in, the, in the fiat traditional sense. So if the question is, well, how do these NFTs that represent ownership 
in those real world assets? How do those NFTs maintain value? And one is the is the trust that this NFT actually does represent the ownership of that physical asset. Two is the fact that you could always burn the NFT at any time and get the real world asset shipped to you anywhere in the world that we're allowed to ship to. We probably cannot ship to Syria or some of these other places, so I apologize. But um, you know, any anywhere in the world where FedEx will take a card, we could ship it to. Um, and then three, um, you know, the 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 as as I mentioned before, that uh, these cards have a very deep real world market. So it's not like um, you know where where you have a NFT community that might have a thousand people, where people might be flighty, people might go to different projects. Maybe you know eight hundred of those thousand are just bots that are flipping it. Or, or, you know, aping into something, right? So the, these cards will have value no matter what happens with the crypto market, no matter what happens with the general market. I mean, I think if you look at Pokemon in the last year or so, it's held up incredibly well in the face of, of, of what's happened in the market, in the face of what's happened with inflation. And in fact, Pokemon has been on a tear for the last two or three months. So from just a financial asset perspective, you know, these cards are doing what we expect them to do. We expect them to be scarce. We expect them to hold value. Um, and we expect them to be inflationary hedges. And we've seen all of that in the last 12 months. Oh, yeah, I've got to say, like, I think, I think this might have also been something Jenny was kind of indirectly asking. It's the reason some of these cards hold their value so well is because they actually have utility. Because like in, in the like in the Magic the Gathering, like, you've got these spells that you can cast, and you can only cast them if you actually own the card. And there's only so many of them. And there's this thing called uh, the the reserve list, which means they're legally never allowed to be printed again. So they, they will all, all, they, these things will be hold their value really well in the real world. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is a great question for for Austin as well. I mean, Austin has been trading cards. <laughs> since he, he was, you know, very, very young. And, you know, to, to understand the mindset of the collector, you know, Austin, what, what gives these cards value and why are they going to hold long-term value? Yeah, so it's funny that you brought up that uh, reserve list example. That is very cool that Magic the Gathering does that. Um, unfortunately, Pokemon does not. So uh, I think one of the cards we're actually giving away is a Charizard uh, that's from a set called XY Evolutions. And that actually has the exact same artwork and effect and does everything the same as the base set Charizard, which is the Charizard from the first set. And even with that reprint happening, it didn't affect the base set Charizard's price at all. Um, just because of the nostalgia attached to you know the original one and the rarity of it. Um, so that is kind of cool that, you know, just because of how rare these items are, even if they do get reprinted, it doesn't necessarily affect the collector value of them. Um, you know, if the cards were being used in a deck where you just needed to get any copy of the card because, you know, they all do the same effect and, um, you know, they reprint it so that the price drops and there's a cheaper version, then it might affect the original value. But because we're talking about, uh, you know, these cards in um, the collector um, as a collector asset, when they get reprinted, it doesn't actually um, affect the original uh, copy's price. And I think part of the reason why these cards are just continually going up is because 
you know, people my age who grew up with, you know, that original Charizard who were five, six, got into Pokemon, we're now, you know, 25-year-olds, 30-year-olds who have jobs that can actually afford to buy, you know, those cards that maybe we couldn't get as a kid. And, you know, we still have that strong um, nostalgia that's attached to these cards. And so I think just in general, you know, as that target audience or that demographic that grew up with these cards get older and earn more money and have more money to spend on, on these items that the prices will just continue to, to go up over time. And uh, you know, I, I guess one, one thing is that like from a, from an asset value perspective, you know, I did some work about a year ago looking at the, uh, the, the kind of the 15 year trajectory of some of these cards and reserve list magic, the gathering had an annualized compound rate of return of around 40% over the previous 15 years. Um, the only asset class that on average has done better than cards is actually, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum, um, you know, collectible cards far outpaced the S and P 500 far outpaced anything in a, in a traditional investment sense. And, um, you know, so I, I think these, in, 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 and you see a lot of high net worth people and ultra high net worth people moving more into uh, collectibles as part of their asset mix due to hedging against, you know, some very, uh, you know, necessary but difficult fiscal policy that uh, the U.S. introduced as, in response to COVID, you know, which is causing the inflation that we see today, which is causing the fall of, you know, banks like Silvergate and, and, uh, and Silicon Valley Bank and some of these other ones that we're reading about in the news right now. So, you know, these, these collectible assets, because they have such a deep tie culturally and, and personally to a lot of people, they tend to hold their value in the face of these macroeconomic kind of factors and risks. And, and one of the things that we're going to build in our platform down the road is, uh, you know, basically creating investment DAOs, right? So maybe, maybe you, you don't really care about Pokemon or you don't care about Yugi or whatever, but you believe that this is a good asset class and can help hedge your exposure to either crypto or to real world markets. I mean, wouldn't it be cool to have like a, a DAO with $10 million worth of Pokemon cards in it that you can kind of trade you know, a percentage of that DAO over a decentralized exchange for 0.3%. And maybe that portfolio of $10 million is is managed by an expert like Austin, who knows how to, you know, buy and sell these cards and knows how to find them and knows how to price them and value them. And, you know, this would be something completely novel. And in fact, it's really, you know, there, there are uh, platforms out there that do this already. But again, they're very expensive, right? You're paying like, two to three percent per year in just management fees and you're paying 20 percent carried interest and carried interest to that it's a term that basically means any profits that that fund generates the managers of that profit are going to of, of that of that fund are going to take 20 to 30 percent of those profits right and then of course you have you know liquidity right so if you put money into these funds you you, you might not be able to pull that money out for two years but you know if you have a DAO and you have a, a dex and a token you can buy and sell into this DAO all day long. You have instant liquidity. You have market depth, um, and then you have you know very low kind of cost. And then it's accessible, you know, not just by accredited institutional investors. It's it's accessible by everyone worldwide. I mean, obviously, there's you know for U.S. based people, there's some regulatory concerns around it, but you know it, it's it's a way to um, you know get exposure to this type of asset class 
to kind of, um, you know, hedge your positions in crypto, hedge your positions in U.S. equities or global equities markets and do something that, you know, you, you might enjoy and have fun with. So I, I think it solves so many different problems. Man, that was an absolutely massive alpha leak. <laughs> yeah, and I think, you know, what's nice is if you know these markets, they're much more predictable than, you know, if you're in the stock market or some of these more volatile markets where there's, um, you know, a lot going on behind the scenes that you can't see that are affecting um, the prices. Um, so with cards, you know, we know that uh, first at base up boxes, there's only, you know, probably less than a hundred of them. And that's the first Pokemon box ever created. And those went up from like $10,000 to $300,000 over a couple of years. So, I mean, the returns are just exponential and, you know, those are only going to go up because they're only becoming more scarce as collectors, you know, procure them and get them in their hands. And even as people start opening them. So, you know, it's, it's good marketing to actually open these boxes. Uh, so people, you know, who have that nostalgia attached to these um, boxes can actually see those cards again. And so I think Logan Paul, you know, we, we got him a box and it was like $330,000 and he opened it. And that only makes the remaining ones more valuable. Um, so, you know, as, as these collectors just keep kind of getting them in their hands and, and opening them for, you know, marketing um, it's like those boxes just get more and more valuable uh, that stay sealed. So it's nice to be able to know kind of what what assets are going to be going up and, and kind of being able to see the whole market and, and not have, you know, so much going on behind the scenes. So it's, you know, it, it makes it predictable for those who are really involved in the space. I've got to say, though, it, it isn't always all about the money. Sometimes it's about the glory. Uh, what what's your favorite Yu-Gi-Oh moment for from play, from actually playing, Austin? Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Uh, yeah, definitely the glory, the pride. You know, that's that's what it's all about when you're playing. It's it's, it's more fun that way, much more pure. And um, you know, probably when I when I was 11 and winning nas- nationals, that that had to be you know my top moment. Um, there was a specific moment in um, top four where. I top decked a card called Heavy Storm. And, uh, you know, if you Google Austin Coleman Yu-Gi-Oh, there's me as an 11-year-old holding up this card, Heavy Storm, um, with my trophy. And that's kind of a card that, you know, kind of became synonymous with with my name when people thought, oh, Austin Coleman is like Heavy Storm. Um, Because I just kept using that card um, in those featured matches in, in top eight. And so I would say that that one moment in top four where I activated that card and, um, you know, for those of you who don't know what it is, it basically destroys all spell and trap cards on the field. And my opponent had like five spell and trap cards on the field and I only had one. So, you know, I gained a big advantage by activating that card. And then on top of that card, activating it, the one card that I had on my side of the field, I could actually use in response to me activating Heavy Storm um, which got me an additional card from my deck to my hand. So I basically got, you know, like plus six cards in advantage on my opponent. And, you know, it just absolutely sealed that game. Well, that's amazing. You could hear, hear the enthusiasm in your voice as you were describing <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, definitely good memories. 
It's, All right. It's, it's well, we've got fun. 10 minutes. Oh, sorry. We, we've got 10 minutes left. So I thought we might want to open up some questions for the floor. Yeah. And, and, and perhaps while we're answering the questions, um, I'll jump in and say, hey, are, are we going to do a, another trivia question for the Pokemon card? So this is a, this is a Pokemon Charizard XY Evolutions card. And, uh, you know, Austin, I don't know if you, you prepared a trivia question. If you did, um, feel free to throw it out. If, if not, I have one, one prepared as well. Um, yeah, I, I do have one. So, uh, you know, Charizard's his, his main attack and what he's most known for is Fire Blast. Uh, when he does that in the show, it actually creates a character symbol. What does that character symbol mean and in what language? Could you repeat that, please? Yep. So when Charizard uses his attack Fire Blast in the TV show, it creates a character symbol in a language. Uh, which language in that is that? And what does that character symbol mean? What word does it mean? Wow, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what Sorry. yours was. Hopefully I didn't just hop in and give a super easy one when yours was going to be... 10 times harder but no that that was a good one uh i'll i'll share i'll share mine after somebody gets this one so we don't confuse the audience um wow i feel I, like i should know this i watched so much pokemon as a kid yeah of course this is a language <laughs> <laughs> all right i i uh you know I, I when, whenever i'm on the call with somebody i always have chat gpt open right now so chat Ooh. chat gpt oh man is is that right um i i got an I, I don't know austin if you're in our discord uh eustas d kid answered um let me bring up the discord what what was I, his answer just so i don't his, his answer okay. is daimonji of the japanese festival gozan no okuribi where a large bonfire is lit in the shape of the character looks like a like a, a man holding his arms out, meaning big or great. Yep, that's right. All right, you got it, Eustace D. Kid. Good job. <laughs> that was a hard one. Um, the, the the one I was going to ask was, uh, um, What is the name of the set that introduced the Pokemon TCG's first ever tag team cards, which feature two or more Pokemon on the same card? But uh, I, I think Austin's had a great one because it, it brought in the TV show as well, which uh, I think a lot of Pokemon players have some significant nostalgia for. So I'll I'll leave it at that. And you know, uh, Battern, you know, please please open the floor for questions. Love to love to see what our audience thinks. And anybody in the Discord, if you want to ask some questions in the Discord, happy to happy to answer them there as well. I also have a question while we wait um, for questions from Discord or Twitter. Also, after hearing the answer to Austin's question, I'm like, yeah, definitely wouldn't have known that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that it's, it's a tough one. That was a tough one. Um, all right. So I um, have a multi-part question for you both. I am curious. What is the rarest asset currently listed, card or otherwise, on Collector? And... Is the rarest asset also the most valuable asset price-wise? Um, and then part three would be, what is the most nostalgic 
asset currently listed for each of you? Hmm. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in there, there first. So, you know, I think in terms of rarity, um, we have a few cards on there and they're not very valuable. But, you know, when you think about rarity, you, you either think about, well, how many of these cards have been printed? Um, how many of these cards are in circulation? How many of these cards have been graded? So we, we have a few cards on the platform that are the best known examples of of those cards. And there's some, you know, Marvel Comics cards in there. There's some wrestling cards in there that literally there has been only one graded at that condition or higher. So that is, as, as far as we know, that's the best example of that card in the world. So, you know, you have one of cards that are on the platform and, you know, these cards aren't, aren't worth that much, right? They're, they might be worth 10, 15, 20 bucks. So this is a case where scarcity doesn't necessarily mean value but let, let's say if you're you know the ultimate warrior example um earlier right let's say if you were a big ultimate warrior fan when you were a kid and you you would you would you know jump around the room with your brothers and bounce off stuff and you all pretended to be ultimate warrior and and your brother's now turning 40 years old and you say oh man what what can i get my brother for his birthday and you say okay i want to get him one of these ultimate warrior cards that's you know literally the best one in the world and share that memory and share that nostalgia with them. So, you know, this this card is not worth so much on the open market, but it could be incredibly meaningful, um, you know, to kind of tie back to our childhoods and tie back to our memories. So, you know, that that's I, I'll say that for the rarity. The most valuable card that I put on is a, uh, well, I, I have a couple valuable cards in there. One is the Beta Mock Sapphire, which is an incredible condition. The other one is a Beta Black Lotus. Um, and the Beta Black Lotus, unfortunately, has, has, you know, somebody took a little marker to it. And that's that's part of the reason why, you know, it's not so valuable. But, you know, those two are probably the, the best cards that I have in my own personal collection on the platform. The one that gives me the most no nostalgia is kind of similar to Austin's story about winning the national championship. So at some point I won the uh, I, 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 I won a, a big event in, in New York City in the mid 90s. And I won it with a card called Juzam Jin. And you can imagine I was probably 15 at the time, and the and the prize was a full set of legends, um, and I still have the full set of legends. And you know, right now that that full set's worth around twenty five thousand dollars. Back then it was worth about two thousand. So, you know, winning two grand worth of cards, um, you know, with this one card called the Juzam Jin, you'll see it. That it's my profile picture everywhere. And uh, you know, what's cool. I I could actually use the Juzam Jin as my profile picture because I own the actual card. And my profile picture is a scan of my actual card. So, you know, I'm not violating any copyright stuff because I'm literally just, you know, showing a picture of something that I own. So that's pretty cool. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll turn it over to Austin. Yeah, I'd probably say my favorite card that's listed is this Ancient Mew promo. Um, it's it's grade a PSA 10. And, you know, that's that's the highest grade you can get on a card. And I remember getting one from, it came out of like the movie pack. So when I was a kid, you know, I must have been five in 1999. And you went to the movie and they'd give you a pack that had the ancient Mew. And, you know, mine's probably in the garbage or in a garage sale or threw it in my pocket. It got crumpled. You know, I have no idea what happened to mine. But it's really cool to see, um, you know, one of those. And especially in that condition to know that somebody, you know, got their pack from the movie and, and took care of it for all these years. Uh, I would have to say that's that's my favorite one. 
Ah, that's so cool. That story definitely made me smile. Um, sometimes I think about all of the Pokemon cards. I used to, you know, keep my, I, I collected Pokemon cards as a little kid. Um, I probably didn't have any super, you know, scarce or rare ones, but I would keep them in a binder. I'm sure some of them would be worth something today, but I, you know, eventually just like probably threw them out or like they all got crumpled or traded. I don't know what happened to them, but um, it is so cool, right? When you see like something from when you were younger uh, that somebody kept and preserved really well. So special. Yeah, it's it's funny you say that because there are, we used to have people that would come into the store who would just pull the box out of their closet and say, I just found these cards, you know, are they worth anything? And little did they know they just had a couple thousand dollars sitting in their closet. Why? And yeah, and, and the price really varies on how well people stored those cards, you know, and took care of them. Um, because it's not even that some of these cards are, are hard to find. Like there can be a, a base set Gyarados, which is from the first set printed. And that card, if it's a PSA 10, you know, graded at a high price could be $10,000 or it could be as little as a hundred dollars if it wasn't kept in the right condition and, you know, stored properly, um, so, you know, that's what makes it kind of funny is that kids were the ones who had these high-priced items, but at the time they weren't high-priced. They were just these toys and, you know, things that they were just used for fun, play with with their friends. And now all of a sudden, you know, it's like if they just put them in a sleeve and put them in a binder and, you know, walked away, they, they'd be sitting on, you know, could be hundreds of thousands of dollars. I'm still waiting for that day with my collectible Barbies. I used to collect Barbies too. As a kid, I have a bunch of them in my parents' basement crawl space in boxes. And I recently looked up the value, like today's value for all of them. And it was still like really low. And I was like, I was so disappointed. Yeah, yeah that, that day will come, I, I believe. All, all those will go up over time. I know After my mom, like oh, oh, go, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. As I say, my mom was kicking herself because... Um, you know, I maybe came home a couple of years ago when I got back into cards. I'm like, Mom, do we still have my Pokemon collection? I mean, that is going to be worth so much money. And she's like, no, I think I got rid of that a while ago, but I have a tub of Beanie Babies. And I'm like, well, everybody's got the tub of Beanie Babies, but nobody kept their kids' cards. Everyone thought that the Beanie Babies would be worth something. And so since everybody stored those, they're just worth nothing. And, you know, everyone made the wrong choice there. I didn't. I don't know what I did with my Beanie Babies, but I don't have them anymore. I'm so sad. But I guess I can scoop them up for relatively cheap still. Yeah, definitely. There's there's enough of those to go around. <laughs> Tom, did you get any questions from the Discord? I, I did not. Not today. I mean, I. so I'll just remind everybody where our Discord is. If you do have questions or if you're listening to this um, off stream, you know, discord.gg slash uh, collector and feel free to you know we're we're all hanging out in here anytime come come meet Austin or myself or anybody else on the team you know would love to uh, to answer your questions and and help you uh, learn how to get your collections on the platform. Word. And um, did you have any last trivia questions for us? Well, we don't have any more cards to give away unless unless you want me to find something real fast. Maybe there's something cool. Well, who, who's your favorite wrestler, uh, Jenny? Macho Man Renny Savage. Macho oh Man. <laughs> 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 a 
Let's see. Uh... I've, I've got a trivia question at a prize because I did actually just buy a Hulk Hogan. So uh, let, <laughs> let me do this one. Um, what is the first generation bat Pokemon? Uh, that was what is the first generation bat Pokemon, like the original one? Let's see. Zubat. It's Zubat is a dual type poison flying Pokemon that first appeared in the first generation of Pokemon games in 1996. Did you did you chat maybe, that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so but this this is probably in the video game, so it's not the card game. So what what is the the first gen base set bat Pokemon? I I don't know. Oh yeah, it was Woobat, yeah. All right, it looks like we've got Bows in here. You might he's, I think he's got a question to ask. Yeah, I showed up pretty late, so like even though I knew some of the trivia answers, I wasn't even sure where to submit them. Um but I was gonna say ask uh, so do y'all do stuff beyond cards? Like for instance, I have like a ton of like Super Nintendo games, like boxes and manuals like i have like you know all the main man games stuff for soccer like pretty minty with all the stuff and like i know some of them are worth like a one like a thousand plus but are y'all exclusively like cards yeah so so that's a great great question and thanks for uh for giving me the opportunity to answer it we our platform you know the the technology is already built out to support any other asset class that has kind of the same form factor, meaning that it's an asset that be, can be graded by a professional third party, and it's an asset that can be stored in a vault. So old video games certainly qualify for that, especially you know if you know if if they are in their original packaging and if they are in great condition. It sounds like you you have a pretty good collection. So and, and those can be graded by WADA and some other uh, places as well. Um, you know CCG. Uh, also has a, a video game kind of graded arm, and I think PSA might as well correct me if I'm wrong, Austin. But the I, I would certainly hold on to those, take care of them, and uh, you know when when uh, when we have them up on the platform, you know you'll be able to list them for sale. And uh, one one thing that I think would be really cool is like you know everybody has. I've had people come and say, well, I have a bunch of vinyl records, and yeah, those are collectible too. There's a ton of stuff that's collectible. And, um, you know, I, I think just really finding a community and ecosystem where these people can communicate and, and interact and that kind of stuff is a, is a big, uh, um, you know, part of what we're building. Because on eBay, right, you know, you can't, you can't even message somebody selling an asset um, until after you've, you've won. I mean, you, you could probably message two people a day. So they limit who you speak to. It always has to go through the eBay platform. It always has, you know, it's very tightly controlled. And, you know, you'll see on our platform, you know, if, if you want, you can basically publicly release what your Twitter address is, right? So if you click on, 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 on me on our platform, you'll see that my, my Twitter is, is at Twam Holmberg. And you could just click my link and send me a DM. And maybe you, you say, well, hey, come on. Hey, Twam, join me in Discord and let's negotiate on the price of this card. Right. So, you know, there, there's no barriers we just want people to go in and have fun. We want people to go like like they're going to the local game store 
when they were eight years old sitting across, you know, a crummy Home Depot table slinging cards and, and trading and, and, you know, learning and making mistakes and, you know, ripping all this kind of fun and exciting memories that I had as a kid growing up with Magic. I, I want to replicate that experience uh, with our platform. And, uh, you know, we could do that over Discord or eventually... You know, we have a we have a metaverse idea where you can go in and sit down in somebody's personal trading lounge and you would be able to, you know, using VR, sit across from somebody and say, hey, I, I, I like that card, but you're charging too much for it, man. You know, can you drop it down to uh, $12,000 and then you can negotiate right there and then you could even like, you know, authorize the transaction in the metaverse. And so this is all like, I think, the future, but uh, we have a long way to go. Yeah, I got a pretty expensive record collection and myself. So uh, I definitely feel that like what type of fees does your platform have? Yeah. So we, great question. We, eBay. And I know they're yeah. like 10 plus percent and all that stuff. Yeah. So eBay's fees for cards are 12.9% up to $7,500. And then it drops to like two and a half percent for amounts beyond that. But if you keep in mind that like 99% of the cards are, are less than 7,500, you could basically, you know, assume 12.9% uh, fees. Our platform has a 2% fee to the seller to sell something. And, uh, you know, basically, um, you know, that's if the item stays in the vault. And then if you want to remove the item from the vault, there's an additional 2% fee. So if you are in the business of trading, um, if you want to buy and sell cards and you want to, you know, basically have your collection to show off on social media. Uh, uh, keeping all the cards on the vault is the safest way to do that, and you'll have 2% fees. If you want to buy a card and just have it shipped to you, you're looking at basically a 4% fee. You know, that's the 2% burn plus the 2% marketplace fee. Um, as we introduce, eventually, as we introduce our uh, community token, our collector token, for high-value transactions, you'll be able to buy down on a case-by-case -case basis, so let, let's say you have a $100,000 card, it's, st it's still no fun to pay $2,000 in transaction fees, even though that's far cheaper than any other marketplace in the world. You know, all, all we're doing is providing a website, and you're, you're bringing the card, and somebody else is bringing $100,000 to buy it. You know, $2,000 still seems a lot, but what we're going to do is if somebody burns collector token um, as a part of that transaction, the transaction fees will drop from 2% down to half a percent. And then literally, that's going to be the cheapest way possible to trade these high value assets. So, you know, you, you, the way you can think about it is our transaction fees are going to be anywhere between 0.5% and 2%. Um, and, and that'll be facilitated with the utility of the collector token once we launch it. Okay, cool. Yeah, because I mean, that's kind of one of the things where like, I know in recent years, there's stuff that like, I found that I could buy and resell that I've just kind of skipped on just because I don't feel like paying the fees to be honest on some stuff because it's kind of gotten more and more expensive over the years. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's what monopoly and oligopoly look like, man. I mean, you, you have a bunch of auction houses like heritage and golden and Christie's and Sotheby's, you know, charging 2%, 20% hammer fees <clears throat> and they're all charging it. They're not competing against each other. It's like, you know, it's like a cartel, right? And somebody has to come in and say, well, no, why are you paying 20% fees over there? Pay 2%. See how much more you could keep in your pocket by doing that. All right, guys. Uh, we're running a bit over time, but I think Jenny's got one last question, and then we're going to wrap it up. 
Yeah, sure. And Bows, those are great questions. Thanks for asking. Um, and also Tuam, Austin, thank you so much for this conversation. It's been great as always. Last question before we leave it for today. How do you envision Collector expanding and growing in the coming years? And what new features or services would you like to deliver to collectors that you don't already? Yeah, th thanks so much, Jenny. Um, one thing we want to do is continue to improve the uh, the user experience. And we are in deep conversations uh, with partners that, for example, can, can help us transform our current Web3 user experience into just a traditional marketplace experience. So somebody coming in who's never heard of Collector, never heard of Solana, doesn't want to touch crypto, will be able to come to our marketplace and buy a card with their credit card, just like they would on any other Web2 marketplace. So that's going to be something we're going to introduce within the next two months. Um, you know, and that's going to hopefully help us, you know, onboard a lot of non-crypto users. And certainly, you know, for the full crypto experience, you'll be able to go back and forth between the two. The, uh, the other thing that we would like to implement is, uh, you know, things that are really only possible on Web3, right? So, for example, um, right now, one of the best places where you could buy sealed product, meaning sealed boxes of cards, is TCG player, right? And so you could see the newest Pokemon sets, the newest Magic sets there. And you see, you know, they you click on the box and it says, okay, here's the cheapest place you could buy it from. Right, and that price might be like 125 bucks. So that that is kind of like the first step at an order book where you have sellers listing what they want for sale and then buyers come in and, and could go in and pick something. But what, what if you created a full order book? What if you gave the buyers the chance to come in and say, well, you know, I don't want to pay 125 for this box. I'd like to pay 120 for this box. Um, with blockchain, you could actually go in and allow buyers to to go in and put a bid. So a buyer can come in and say, "Well, I want to buy 10 boxes at 120 bucks, and I'm gonna I want that order to to exist for five days, right?" And and then basically the dealers can come in and say, "Okay, wow, you know, here here's a place where I could sell five 10 boxes at this price. Am I gonna take it?" And when you include both sides of the order book, you accrue, you you improve market depth, you improve liquidity, and you reduce friction. And these are things that people trading on the on the Nasdaq and the New York Stock Exchange have known for a hundred years. Why have we not implemented that yet in trading these assets? And that's because the the platforms that are in control of these have kind of this monopoly power, and they want to protect their fees, and they want to protect you know all those things that they're doing. And so that's another feature we're going to introduce. And then, you know, that and that's something that's really only possible on the blockchain. Uh, the, the next two pieces are collateralized lending. So let's say you have a card collection worth 200,000 bucks. Um, let's say you, you, you want to go to a card show and perhaps pick up another collection and you're going this weekend. You know, do you call your parents and say, hey, can I, can I borrow $30,000 to go to this card show and buy a collection? Or do you just go into a decentralized lending app, you know, borrow $30,000 against your cards, go to the collection, go to the, the trade show, buy or buy not buy your collection, and then come back and you pay off your loan? You know, that that's not possible right now. And for people who are, you know, in the business of trading these assets, and I'm looking at you, all you, all, all the local game stores, the card stores, you know, they run on a very tight margin. And being able to get instant liquidity to, you know, thirty or fifty thousand dollars to help them go and flip some product at a at a trade show, it can be game changing for them. And so this is something that we're going to introduce here in the next few months. And then finally, I already mentioned, you know, the opportunity for these investable indices and these kind of deeper kind of asset class DAOs. So 
um, you know, th thanks for the opportunity to to answer all those. And what what I what I'm really hoping for, you know, we brought on Cassius Marsh as a uh, as a strategic partner. He has a vault on the platform. He's also, you know, going to be putting out YouTube videos and content. Um, I, I I just want people to come in and drop their cards on the platform. Let us know where we can do better. Let us know how to fix it. Let us know how to add new features. And I want people to take ownership of this, right? And we're 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 looking forward to that future where our community owns the platform. It's a, it's a fantastic vision, and I'm glad you've been here to share it with us. Yeah, and I'll just hop in real quick too on kind of how I see the industry expanding. And before I do that, I just want to say thank you as well for having us. It's been great to meet you guys and can have a conversation with y'all. Um, I think kind of, you know, what I'm hoping to see moving forward is, you know, we saw Pokemon with um, Pokemon Go where they had their, um, the first augmented reality app that really kind of took off and was mass adopted. And, you know, I'm hoping the same kind of happens for, for NFTs and in web three, where some of these market leaders in the collectible space where they have such a dedicated fan base can, you know, kind of open the doors and, and get these um, technologies mass adopted and hopefully they'll, you know, maybe move their card game to web three where you can play online and, and buy packs that become NFTs and, you know, buy and trade those assets. Um, and I know, you know, I'm working with a company right now that's also developing a, an NFT trading card game and we're working on, you know, earn to play models and, and all these fun ways to just, um, you know, make it a better, user experience and um, add all sorts of, you know, fun features that, that web three enable. So I think it's an exciting time for the space. Yeah. I can't, I can't wait to see what the future brings. Thank you so much everyone for coming today. It has been a lot of fun and very informative and I'm sure we'll see you all again. Yeah, th thanks so much, Battern, and thanks so much, uh, the extended uh, Bat team. And, and don't forget, we still have one more giveaway that's not going to be live. But uh, if you've listened this far, you know, please come to our uh, <clears throat> discord.gg channel uh, slash collector, and uh, you'll see a post in our, our general chat about the giveaway and also in the announcement. And just interact with that post. Give us a thumbs up, you know introduce yourself let us know who you are and uh we'll 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 pull that next week sometime so thanks so much guys all right uh and if anyone's interested we've got a game with degen royale it's going to start in slightly delayed now but it'll be about five minutes <laughs> great well thank you guys so much appreciate it thank right, you have a wonderful day take care everyone Yeah, I can't find the phone I'm actually logged in on at the moment. <laughs> Champ. <laughs>